Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship. We are wrapping up a series that we've been in now a couple of weeks. Uh, WDJD, what did Jesus do? And as many of you know by now, it's a takeoff of those wristbands from the 90s that were real popular. What would Jesus do? And, and throughout this series, as I've mentioned to you throughout uh, these last couple of weeks, uh, we've learned that what Jesus did do, one of the things at least, that he did do better than anyone else was that he taught, Right. And, and so throughout this series, uh, we've looked at what made Jesus the greatest teacher ever. And then from there, we looked at some of the things that Jesus taught about, some of the heavier topics that maybe we don't always talk about. Uh, we looked at what Jesus taught about Satan. You know, that was something we hadn't talked about for a while. And we talked about pride. We, we looked at what Jesus taught about pride and divorce. Last week, we looked at hell. It was just, just a fun week, right? And today, today, though, we're wrapping it up as Lord just mentioned, we're going to look at what Jesus taught about the end times. And we're going to look at that because, frankly, there's a lot of opinions out there about the end times and what's going to happen and, and how it's going to happen and all kinds of stuff. So what I like to do is just kind of set the record straight so we're all, you know, good with what Jesus taught about the end times. And to do that, what I'd like to do is I'd like to start off with a summary, a summary of the end times that I received when I was at the seminary years ago by one of my professors. On one particular occasion, he, you know, after years of studying the end times, he got up in front of our class, walked in front of the podium, and he said, guys, when Jesus returns, the ball game is over. And, and we kind of chuckled, A, because we thought it was going to be a lot more than that, uh, but B, because of his just lousy Chicago accent that he was trying to put on, like, the Bears, the ball game was over. It was, it was pretty sad. But what we realized was that he was right. I mean, granted, we don't know exactly what inning we are in, in the ball game, but we do know that when Christ returns, that's it. The ball game is over. Now, thankfully, Jesus doesn't just leave us hanging. He provides us with predictions that allow us to understand things about the end times, okay? And, and one such prediction is found in Mark 13. Let me read this to you. Jesus says this, he says, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. So based on this verse, plus others found throughout the Bible, what I would like to do is just share with you two observations, two observations about the end times, and then two implications that Jesus' triumphant return can have on your life today, okay? So that's pretty simple, pretty basic, but let's dig into this. Let's jump right in, first of all, to the observations. First observation is when it comes to Jesus' imminent return at the end of time, we need to understand that Jesus', will re Jesus return will be surprising, right? As we just saw in that verse, nobody knows when it's going to happen. So if anybody guesses a year or a date, you know they're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. You can bet money on that. Don't bet money on that. But they're wrong, okay? They're wrong. Nobody knows. Nobody knows the hour, the day, the time, the month, the year. Not the angels, not even Jesus. And by that, understand, we're talking about his human nature, but nobody knows. So when is Jesus coming again? The answer to that is, I don't know. In fact, just to make sure all of you are on the same page with me, I'm going to ask you that question, and I want you to say, I don't know. Are you ready? When is Jesus coming again? 
Absolutely. We don't. We don't know. We know he's coming and we know that he could come at any time. And the reason why we know that he could come at any time now is because during his earthly ministry, Jesus presented a, a series of indicators. He, he shared indicators that identified that we have kind of moved into the final times of, of existence and that he, he could come at any moment. One such indicator that Jesus shared was the destruction of the temple. Jesus predicted that the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed, and sure enough, in 70 AD, it was. Romans came into Jerusalem, and they tore the temple down, and Jesus predicted that. In Mark 13, Jesus actually uses some phraseology. So as I read these words, understand it's Old Testament phrases referring to, the, referring to the defiling and the destruction of the temple. But this is what Jesus says in Mark 13, 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, and then Mark adds this little parenthetical statement, let the reader understand. Now, many scholars believe that when the gospel of Mark was being written, Jerusalem, it was at about that same time that the Romans walked into Jerusalem, that the destruction of the temple was just around the corner. So when Mark says that, he puts in that little statement, let the reader understand, he is saying, guys, guys, remember the prediction that Jesus made long ago when he was still here on this earth before he ascended into heaven. Long ago, he said the temple's going to be destroyed. And and, and, and of course, you know, that was one indicator of Jesus' imminent return. And many of those followers of Jesus saw it happen. They, they witnessed it firsthand. A second indicator of Jesus' imminent return was the coming of persecution. Jesus told and warned his followers that they're going to be hated and they're going to be beaten. They're going to be thrown into prison and tried and even killed. Look at this. Jesus says this in Mark 13, 9. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And that happened too. You can read in the book of Acts how, how Christians, how there was imprisonment and, and, and there was beatings and even some Christians were martyred. And all of that within the first generation. All of that happened right then and there. Now, of course, people today, Christians around the world are still being persecuted in countries like China and Iran and Syria and, and Indonesia and things like that. But that was another indicator that Jesus said, hey, when that starts happening, be on the alert. I can come at any moment. And again, many Christians experience that firsthand in their lives. Third indicator is that the good news will go out to all nations. So it wouldn't just be confined, in other words, to Israel. It would be preached to all people everywhere. And again, this is considered to have been fulfilled during the, light, the time of the disciples. Paul says it this way in Colossians 1 verse 23. He says, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Now, obviously, obviously not everyone heard about the good news of Jesus way back then. But Paul uses this language in Colossians 1 to describe the fact that the gospel of Jesus, the good news of who Jesus is, isn't just confined to the Jews, but it is a universal gospel that is to go to all people around the world. The bottom line is that Jesus made these predictions and others like them. And all of them were fulfilled within that first generation. In fact, Jesus predicted that too. 
Look at this in Matthew 24, verse 34. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And they did. They did. Jesus' followers saw all of what Jesus had predicted come true. And, and so the New Testament writers fully believed that nothing more had to happen for Jesus to return. Okay? Everything that Jesus said would happen, happened. And so throughout the New Testament, you see these, these uh, I guess, warnings of Jesus' imminent return or, or reminders of his imminent return. In 1 Peter 4, verse 7, it says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. 1 John 2, 18 says, Dear children, this is the last hour. In Acts 2, 17, it's the day of Pentecost. Peter quotes the prophet Joel and says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Peter, on the day of, day of Pentecost, saw that the Holy Spirit had been poured out. He put two and two together and realized we're in the last days. Now, we ought to understand something. We need to realize that these statements made by the New Testament writers did not signify that they, across the board, fully believed that Jesus was going to come like next week or next month or next year. What they did understand is what we need to understand, and is that Jesus could come at any time. Okay, no more signs need to happen, need to be made. No more predictions need to be fulfilled. The disciples then and we today need to just watch and be ready. And that's, and that's the first observation um, about Jesus' imminent return. We need to watch and re be ready because his return is going to be surprising. You're, you're not going to know when it's going to come. It's going to catch you off guard. Second observation about the end times and Jesus' imminent return is that it will also be decisive. Okay, when Jesus returns, it will be the end of history as we know it. The ball game will be over. And Jesus' reign will be total and complete. And this is, this is really critical for you to understand because there are other churches that teach a little bit differently. But we teach and believe that right now, Jesus in is in heaven and he is king. Right? He is not coming at the end of time to be king. He is king now. And his reign as king is unhindered, unchallenged, and unending. So we just understand that. In Revelation 1 verse 5, Jesus is declared to be the ruler of the kings of the earth. So he's not just ruler of the earth, he's ruler of the kings of the earth. His lordship is over everybody, every corporation, every business, every government, every nation. He is lord over President Biden, he's lord over President Putin. He is lord over the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. He is lord over Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. He is Lord over Scarlett Johansson and Tom Hanks. He is Lord over Mick Jagger and Ariana Grande. He's Lord over LeBron James and Baker Mayfield. He is Lord over Main Street and Wall Street, Times Square and Hollywood Boulevard. In fact, when you go home today, yes, we can applaud that. When you guys go home today, understand, you look around your house, he's Lord there too. He is king. And yeah, that is worthy of applause. And look at what it says here in, in Philippians 2, verse 10. It says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. 
And, and, and you're like, yeah, we know that, Pastor Zardi. Get that. Understand that. Live in that. He is ruler of the kings of the earth. The second thing about the decisiveness of Jesus' imminent return, though, is that not only is Jesus king right now, but Jesus is also judge. Right? So when Jesus comes back, and we confess this in the Apostles' Creed and in the Nicene Creed, we say he is going to come to judge the living and the dead, right? The Bible teaches that too in Acts 10, verse 42. Christ is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And that's good news. That's huge. Because throughout history, people have been crying out for justice, haven't they? People have been looking for justice. They want, they're longing for justice. In Isaiah 59, verse 11, it says, We look for justice, but find none. That was a common cry of the prophets of the Old Testament. We look for justice for the widows and for the poor and for the foreign and for the, the foreigners and for the orphans and for the weak, but we find none. Today, I know people are looking for justice in 2021. People are looking for justice for that 13-year-old boy who was visiting his aunt from Milwaukee in Cleveland Heights, and he was shot and killed by a random bullet while he was sitting in her kitchen. We look for justice for this, this elderly couple in Troy, Michigan, who just recently lost all of their life savings because somebody scammed them out of it. Right? We, there's no getting that money back. I was fishing on Lake Erie with, on a charter, on, um, doing some walleye fishing. Good fishing, by the way. Good fishing. And I, I met three of these guys who were from this, this construction company, and their company had been hacked by ransomware. Their company had to pay out millions of dollars. Are you kidding me? And on and on it goes, right? Liars get away with deceiving you. Abusers get away without being punished. We look for justice, and we just don't see it anywhere. But, and here's why the end times is so important. The Bible says in Amos 5.25 that the day is coming when, as it says here, justice will roll on like a river. When Christ returns, the books will be balanced. The accounts will be settled. Nobody's getting away with anything. Nobody's going to, you know, sneak through the cracks or slip through the cracks. Nobody's going to, you know, get, get off on a technicality. Or, or get, you know, find a loophole to s sneak by. No, 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 no. When Jesus comes, he's going to bring justice. There will be justice. And, and, and so when it comes to the, the observations of the end times, those are two that I just, I want you to understand. First, you're not going to know when he's going to come. It'll be surprising. And second, it'll be decisive. Okay. Now, with that said, let's look at some of the implications. That it, it, what does Jesus' return mean for us today? First, for you, for all of you sitting here, those of you watching me online right now, okay, as a follower of Christ, it means, first of all, that you live with a sense of urgency. You know Jesus is coming back, but you forget about that because you got the Browns game this afternoon or you got other things going on. You forget, God wants you to, between now and when he returns, between Jesus' returns, to live with a sense of urgency and to do the work that God has given you to do. Okay, that's what he's looking for you to do. And so Jesus tells a story in Mark 13. It's a parable, but Jesus says this. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. So the master's gone. The expectation is that the servants are going to do the work that the master has asked him to do while he's gone. 
And they're not going to dilly-dally around. They're not going to delay. They're going to do it because they don't know when he's going to return. And that's what it is for us. God is looking for us. That's why he tells the story. Jesus tells that story, not because he's afraid we're going to um, defy his orders, but because we might miss the opportunity that he has given us to, to do the work that he has entrusted us before, the, before he returns. So God has given each and every one of you a specific task. We'll get into that in just a second. But he wants you to get it done while there is still time, while time still remains. 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judge of the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, here it is, proclaim the message. Be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. There you go. Uh, Hebrews 10, 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. God has given all of you here, all of you watching me online right now, he has given you work to do and he wants you to get it done in the time that you've got left before he returns. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if your, your age doesn't matter, your race doesn't matter, your gender doesn't matter, your income doesn't matter, your social stand, it doesn't matter. What matters is you understand this truth and you cling tightly to this truth. You ready? Here it is. What Christ wants you to do, you want to do right now. You don't wait. You don't delay. There are people all around you in your circle of influence who need to know about Jesus Christ. Okay? So God has given you right now to do that, to love them the way that he loves them. God has given you right now to share with them what life looks like when he, Jesus, is in control. God has given you right now, not later, but right now, to demonstrate what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus and the blessings that flow when that happens. Even if this person used to be close to Jesus, but now their love has grown cold or stale, God has given you right now to remind that person that God's love for them never grows cold or stale. God has given you right now to tell them that as a gift of grace, through faith in Jesus and his death on the cross, they and anyone else anywhere can be forgiven of their sin, freed from the punishment they deserve, and enjoy the gift of eternal life. Wow. So do you see how important, as Laura pointed out, there's, we, get, we, need to, we have to live with a sense of urgency the people around us, the people you know, that you, people you see in and out of a given day, these are people whose eternity are hanging in the balance. So God has given you right now to reach out to those people who may be struggling in their faith or who may be wandering aimlessly through life without Jesus. God has given you right now to go to them, to talk to them, to build a relationship with them, to encourage them to pray for them. God has given you each and every moment of every day and he wants you to use it. Use it to let the kingdom of God shine through you to others. Okay, and sometimes it's words, sometimes it's actions, but you are to be the light of Christ. And that's what God is looking for. He, he, God has given all of you work and he's counting on you to get it done, get it done now. So that's the first implication that comes from knowing that Jesus' return is imminent. Live with a sense of urgency. The second is to live with an outrageous sense of hopefulness. 
I know that for some of you sitting here right now, you may be dealing with problems, difficulties, troubles, hardships, pain, and yet God calls you to live with hope, outrageous hope, the hope of knowing that there's more to life than just this broken life. And, and, and I know that sometimes that can be kind of hard to, to comprehend, but the, 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 that is exactly what God has called you to do. In fact, for the, 300, um, for the early Christians, the 300-some references of Jesus' return, it's what helped keep them going during their time of hardship and pain. In Romans 8, this is what Jamie read a moment ago. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then a few verses later, in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now, I, I understand waiting patiently and with outrageous hope, again, that can be hard at times. So let me just close by sharing with you two verses that I think can help. The first is from Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And then the second one is just two chapters, a couple chapters later. Revelation 21. John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Wow. If you want something that's going to give you outrageous hope, cling to that image. The image of a loving groom, Jesus, who has come to claim his beloved bride. You. You. As members of, as part of his church, we are Jesus' bride. We are his prized possession. We are the ones who have been bought and paid for with his precious blood. And, and please don't miss this. When you, by the Spirit's power, when you trust and believe that, that Jesus is your Savior, your Lord, your King, okay? When, when you get to that point, you say, yes, he is personally, he died for me personally. You can live with outrageous hopefulness because you know the future that awaits you is filled with love and joy and wonder. And I realize that right now, sitting here today, you know, it's kind of hard for us to comprehend all of that. But someday we will understand, we will see it, we'll experience it firsthand, and it will be amazing. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to this. He says, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then, in heaven, we will see face to face. Now it may be difficult to grasp for us, but then, boy... When we're in heaven, we're going, to see, we're going to look right into the eyes of the one who loved us enough to die for us. And, and I guarantee, just that image, that, that, that can give you outrageous hopefulness. So let me challenge you in a couple of ways this week. In light of what we just talked about, first of all, I want you to live each day eagerly expecting Christ's return. You know he's coming, and you know that he's coming soon. So be ready. Eagerly look forward to it. Even though he's coming as judge, as part of his church, you know, we're golden. We have the blood of Christ that has washed us clean. All right? But we can also know that someday all the wrongs will be made right. Second, <clears throat> think of what you can do right now to help point someone to Jesus. You know somebody. I know you do. So look for ways 
for opportunities where God gives you the moment of right now to tell them what a relationship with Jesus looks like or to demonstrate it for them and, and the blessings that can come so that they too can know Jesus. But let God give you and use that moment of right now to love somebody whom God may be calling you to love. And then the third thing is face every situation with inextinguishable hope. That's a lot easier said than to write it out. Inextinguishable hope. I know that some of you may be dealing with some pretty tough times. But you know what? As, as members of God's family, we can rejoice in the fact that even though duh, one day the ball game will be over, as true believers, we know that at that time when Jesus returns, that, that is when life will really begin with our King, with our Lord, with our Savior. So let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for revealing to us all that we need to know that we might be watching and ready for your imminent return as judge. Help us to see the importance of being ready with a faith that is strong, as well as the urgent need to reach out to those who right now may be facing an eternity without you. Give us that sense of urgency. Fill us with the joy-filled hope of someday seeing you face to face forever. Father, thank you for blessing this series. We love you and we pray all this in the great and holy name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.